Dungeon of Delirium podcast. Hey, get back in your room. I thought you put her in front of the TV with a joint and some snacks. She learned to use the knob. Well, she's excited, and who can blame her? Halloween is right around the corner, and she's getting ready to host our Halloween special. Speaking of our Halloween special, you still have time to enter our Dungeon of Delirium bong giveaway. Just rate us on your podcast app of choice and send us a screenshot to Dungeon of Delirium on Instagram or contact at DungeonofDelirium.com. The special will be in four parts. The winner will be announced on the chilling conclusion October 31st. Part one premieres October 28th. This week's story takes us back to 1985. Samuel does a dangerous job. No, not a lumberjack or a firefighter. Samuel delivers pizza. He's ready to give it up for good. He just has to make one final delivery. Get your pizza ready, and when you go to cut it, make sure to use the knife that cuts slowly. Delivering pizza is the seventh most dangerous job in the country. Farming is like eight. Cop is something like 22. Turns out the more driving you do on the job, the more likely you are to get sandwiched between two diesel trucks. It's just, it's not just the driving though. I used to sling pies back in the mid 80s. First month on the job, I got held at gunpoint for $37 in small bills. Of the three times, yes, three times, that I'd be held up for pizza money, that one was the best one. 
It might seem counterintuitive to you, but once a gun comes out, the point has been made. Here's the cash, I'll be on my way, smooth and clean. Time number two was a vacant lot. Bleach in the eyes and enough kicks to the ribs to break three and give me a cough that lasted all summer. A gun comes out and everybody knows what to do. A spray bottle doesn't quite have that same effect. My eyes were red and swollen for days. That time, they got $111. It was a Friday. Time three might have been the worst. Time three was a tube sock stuffed with quarters. The first blow hit me square in the center of my face. There were enough quarters in the sock to break my clavicle but evidently not enough to do laundry, because even in that moment of confusion, I could see how filthy the sock was as it came in for swing number two. That one landed me on the floor with a broken nose. The next several swings were to my body, and they left welts that looked like ringworm across my chest, stomach, and ribs. Eventually, the sock split and the blow stopped coming. Even in my near-unconscious state, I remember the thieves frantically gathering the change after they'd robbed my money belt. $54 minus about $3.50 in change that they left in the quickly expanding pool of blood under my head. Gotta spend money to make money, I guess. The worst delivery I ever made also happened to be my last. Now, just to be clear, it would be my last delivery no matter how it went down. It's just that the good Lord decided to make my last delivery particularly memorable. So memorable that I've spent the majority of my life in the years since trying to drink and drug those memories away. All I've managed is for my liver and lungs to submit instead. That's the best evidence of God that I've found. Any good, enjoyable thing will kill you. Every food that tastes good gives you diabetes, colon cancer, something worse. Everything you smoke takes your lungs. Everything you drink to forget eviscerates your pancreas, stomach, liver, kidneys, and colon on the way down. Now I'm here, nearly 40 years later, telling you about the worst night of my life with a clear mind and a failing body. That is suffering as only the divine can architect it. The worst delivery I ever made was to 3401 Maple Street on October 18th, 1985, 10.01 p.m. The house was dark when I arrived. No exterior lights on. Nothing really visible through the front windows either. It was situated far back from the road, 
so I had to pull into the long gravel driveway and park by the garage. We didn't have delivery apps in those days, so I had to collect the cash on delivery. You'd be shocked how many people would fall asleep after ordering and answer the door with righteous indignation after being woken up. I patiently waited on the stoop, waiting for the telltale signs of life inside. Through the door, I could see that there were lights on in what appeared to be a den. Dim lights, maybe candles or tableside lamps, but lights. Maybe even a shadow shifting? A person coming to the door to pay me? I just wanted this to be done. The next day, I was moving into my dorm at City College. Gone would be the days I'd come home smelling like fucking onions and pepperoni. In would be the days of keggers, college girls, and weed. Another couple of minutes went by and I knocked again. The door eased open a bit on my third knock. Hello? I called into the dark, empty foyer. It's Four Corners Pizza. Total is 12 bucks and some change. Can I come in? The wind picked up, tearing the autumn leaves from the trees and casting them onto the front porch. A light came on. Not inside the foyer, but downstairs in the basement. I could see it through a small, ground-level window at my feet. Finally, I thought. Come in. The voice seemed to come from the wind itself. I eased open the door and stepped inside. Hello? Nothing. I decided to check the den where I'd seen the lights. Hello? I called again. As I entered the den, I could see that the light had been coming from a 13-inch Sony Trinitron. Yeah, TVs used to be the size of iPads. <laughs> oh, the progress of man. On the screen was a late-night schlock horror movie. Some freak with an axe in a carnival funhouse. On the tables were books, papers, miniature figurines, and piles of dice. Fucking Dungeons and Dragons nerds. Come on out. I need to get paid for these pies before I can leave. Nothing. I could see the open basement door across the den in a hallway. I made my way toward it, kicking over a can of coke in the process. Fuck! I knelt down and picked it up. Luckily, very little had spilled, and judging by the stray potato chips and Cheetos on the rug, I doubted the spill would make headlines in this house. As I moved toward the basement door, I noticed the first red flag. Three pizzas from four corners stacked neatly on the counter back in the kitchen. They didn't look like they had even been disturbed at all. This would have been a good time to leave and just eat the cost of the pizza myself. The owner was an asshole and I was definitely going to get blamed. You probably know by now that I didn't leave then. I was pissed off 
A bunch of nerds wasting my fucking time when I should have been in the car, leaving the pizza life in the dust. I stood at the top of the basement stairs and called down. Twelve bucks. Either come up and pay me, or I'm taking your fucking nerd books and dice with me. Come down. Came the soft, wind-like voice. I descended the stairs holding the pizza aloft in my left hand, and a heavy-duty mag light in my right. You don't get robbed three times and not carry something. Wasn't exactly a 38 special, but I wasn't exactly Philip Marlowe. As I reached the base of the stairs, I heard the door close behind me. Fuck. I dropped the pizzas and ran back up to the door. My threshold had been met. This was not worth 12 bucks anymore. Locked. Alright, motherfuckers, if you're gonna rob me, I'll make it easy. Money belt on the ground, pizza's yours, just let me leave. Nothing. Was there another way out? Had I seen a bulkhead on the way in? I tried to force the door with my shoulder, but it was rock solid. I had no choice but to descend back into the basement, mag light out to illuminate the dark room. Whatever light had been turned on had since been extinguished. That's when I saw the blood. Just a little bit at first. Drops on the floor leading around a corner. There seemed to be nowhere to go but to follow it. I quickly learned how the first delivery of pizzas had gotten there. My co-worker Tommy was curled up in the fetal position, arms at his stomach. He died trying to hold his guts in, but the cut was from stem to stern. He had died bad. A full panic set in. Tommy wasn't stupid enough to die for pizza money, and his money belt was still at his hip. I swung the maglite around to look for a light switch, finding one on the wall beside me. I flipped it, and a bulb on a string flickered to life. The scene was much worse than I had anticipated. Tommy was but one of the bodies in the room. Two others, whom I vaguely recognized as underclassmen from my high school, were heaped mere feet from Tommy, throats torn open partially eaten. One of them clutched a book under his arm. Pages seemingly torn from the book flew around the room, held aloft by an inexplicable wind. In here came the whispering, wind-like voice once more. There was a door frame that led to another room where the voice seemed to originate. The dangling incandescent bulb cast long, angular shadows at the door, curving and bending like gargoyles grasping at me as I backed away. I slunk toward another set of stairs, surely leading to an outside door. 
Come. The voice called again. I ran up the stairs and tried the bulkhead. I could hear metal chains rattling as I tried to no avail to shoulder it open. A window. I could get out of a window. Come, Sam. There's no way out. The voice said. I wasn't going to take their word for it. The windows were high, but I still had my youthful strength and was able to hoist myself up. What greeted me when I was at eye level was not the gravel driveway, my car idling, the distant streetlights. It was a brick wall. I guess the only choice I had was to stay and fight. I raised my mag light up and headed toward the illuminated doorway. Slowly, the halo of light from my flashlight passed through the door and the scene before me began to take shape. Two more bodies. Dave something or other and Tammy Underwood. Dangled by taut chains that seemed to disappear into the dark ceiling. Even my flashlight couldn't pierce through the shadow. The chains seemed to extend dozens maybe hundreds of feet up into the pitch-black cloud above my head. They had been fully eviscerated. Gore covered the walls and floor. A circle of candles and strange symbols wound around them, inches below their dangling feet. Two wrinkled, nearly skeletal hands emerged from the darkness of the ceiling, thirty or forty feet up in the air. They were clutching the chains holding Dave and Tammy, and they let go. Tammy and Dave's bodies fell limp to the ground. Impossibly long lengths of chain fell in coils beside them. Vipers ready to strike. I backed away, but the door I had entered from was no longer there. I could hear the figure belonging to those deathly white and incomprehensibly strong arms shifting like a predator on the ceiling. I'll give you a choice, Samuel. The knife that kills quick, or the knife that kills I have said enough for tonight, though I have never wanted to turn down dessert. My legs were gelatin. There was no escape but to choose.
bright. The ceiling was merely feet above my head. I spent 90 days in jail while they tried to pin those murders on me. Eventually I was cleared in the eyes of the law, but always suspected by people from my hometown. I never did move into that dorm. A month after I was released from jail, I was struck by a motorist walking home and, well, that was the end of my walking career. I've worked odd jobs, but it's been hard finding work I could do in my chair. Mostly I've been on disability. I've drank, drugged, smoked, attempted to end my own life. All that did was leave me here, in hospice at age 57. The ceiling is growing dark now. The slow cut is losing momentum, but the wound has been fatal. I can hear the doctors and nurses trying to save me. If I could speak, I'd tell them not to bother. I'm done and I want to be free. I am drifting now. I'm afloat in what feels like embryonic fluid. I hear the doctor say something like persistent vegetative state as my mind splinters and floats in every direction. I am a baby again, staring up at the mobile in my crib. Airplanes, stars, moons and suns dangle just out of reach of my weak, infant hands. For a moment they are chains, hanging from a dark ceiling in a room I wouldn't enter for sixteen more years, holding Dave and Tammy, the lucky ones. You didn't choose, so you got the knife that never lets you die. The Knife That Cuts Slowly was written, directed, produced, narrated, and scored by Kevin Klausman. 
Executive produced by Kevin Klausman and Chelsea Darling. Make sure to tune in to the Dungeon of Delirium Halloween special, premiering October 28th, presented in four parts, concluding on Halloween night. We'll see you there. Bow, 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 bow,